If you will, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. My text today is going to be in verses 35 through 49 as we continue in this um, uh, this great book. But certainly, I would almost have to say that chapter 15 is the maybe the apex, if you will, the um, the summit of 1 Corinthians. And so, as you turn to chapter 15, go to verse 35, and uh, I'm going to read through verse 49. Listen, church, to the words of the living God. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And, and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for the stars differ from star and glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable, what is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. On December 31st, 1384, John Wycliffe died of a stroke. On May 4th, 1415, 30 year, 31 years later, at the Council of Constance, John Wycliffe was declared a heretic. Excommunicated from the church, his body was exhumed, burned at the stake, and ashes were thrown into and his ashes were thrown into the River Swift. That account poses a number of questions for us. The first one is why? I'll tell you a little bit of why. John Wycliffe was an adamant supporter of biblical authority. He believed that the Bible was authoritative. It was our highest authoritative and it was utterly sufficient. And so therefore, he was a staunch critic of the Pope, papal authority. The Pope claimed to be the authority and Wycliffe would say, no, Scripture is our authority. And since there is no biblical office of a pope, what authority does he have over the church? 
Then, of course, that didn't garner him any favor. He also struck against the accumulation of wealth by the priests. That certainly did not gain him any favor. And he defied the Catholic Church by translating the Bible into the common language. This was a crime punishable by death. Wycliffe's reason, again, a high view of Scripture, he said, well, God spoke to Moses in a language that Moses could understand. Shouldn't we also communicate God's word in a language that they can understand? He was hated by the Catholic Church. The Pope called him the master of errors. But he was loved by the people, which is why they didn't condemn him as a heretic until 31 years after he was dead. My goal today is not necessarily to give you a church history, but that does then, but the death and the exhuming and the burning and the disposing of the body of John Wycliffe does raise another question. His body was just ashes. I'm sure that his body is utterly and completely disintegrated by now. Our question is, can God raise John Wycliffe from the dead? And if so, what kind of body would he have? Paul is going to address those questions. Those are questions you and I probably have asked at some point. Well, when I die... What kind of body will we end up with? What, will it be my 20-year-old or my 40-year-old or my 80-year-old? Or what's it going to look like? What's it going to be like? Paul isn't going to give us a specific answer, but I think he will give us a general answer that will, when we leave here, give us great hope. With what kind of body will we attain in the resurrection? With what kind of body will John Wycliffe have in the resurrection. This, as Paul is addressing this issue of a resurrection in chapter 15, he is now going to address the question of what kind of body, with what kind of body will people have? If there is a resurrection, how then can a deteriorating body be restored? Or, for those who may be alive at the Lord's return, if there is a re- resurrection, how can a physical body be fit for eternal existence? How does that work? And this would be the questions that the Corinthians might be posing to the Apostle Paul. Listen, we got loved ones, we've got ancestors, they're long dead, they're dust. What kind of body are they going to have? And if you're saying that, in a, that at some point we will be with the Lord, well, then how does this natural body be fit for eternal life? That's what we would like to know. So Paul's going to address that. But before we get there, let me give you a little bit of a review of where we have been in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because Paul begins what, what might be the magnum opus of 1 Corinthians, of his first letter to the Corinthians, and in chapter 15, as he is addressing the resurrection and the centrality of the resurrection to the Christian faith. 
And he begins by demonstrating the importance of the resurrection of Jesus um, for the gospel. In fact, you have no gospel without the resurrection of Christ. Paul begins, chapter 15, or what we call chapter 15. He says, I proclaim to you the gospel that I preached. That is, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose from the dead. Resurrection of Jesus Christ is central to the gospel that Paul proclaimed. And Paul said, it is the gospel that saves you. And then, we saw that uh, a few weeks ago, and then Paul, and we saw this last week, talks about how not only has Christ been raised from the dead, but we also will be raised from the dead at the return of Christ. And he said, but everything in its own order. First Jesus, then his elect at his return. So that's where we have been. I've kind of given a little bit of an idea of where I hope to go today. And so let's go ahead and look at this first path, this first main point. And that is, How and what kind? How is God going to raise the dead and what kind of body are we going to have? But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? That seems like a reasonable question. We would affirm with the Apostles' Creed, we recited this last week, that we believe that Jesus has risen from the dead and we believe in the resurrection of the dead. We've talked about how the resurrection is a non-negotiable tenet of our faith. There is no Christian faith that would not hold to the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so then someone is going to ask, again, a reasonable question, how? How is this going to happen and what kind of body do we have? How can life come from death? Seems reasonable. And remember, the Corinthians, this would have been a very, very, very um, fundamental question to those who had a Greek background. Because remember, those who, they would have been um, influenced greatly by Greek philosophy, especially the the philosophy of Plato, who taught that, um, and basically came to be this idea that this body, the material world, is more of a shadow. But there is a real world. Um, it is a, a world that we don't see. And this got, uh, uh, as this gets developed more and more, the Greeks and the, so the Corinthians would have been influenced by this idea that our body, this body, is just a mortal shell that deteriorates and it is corrupt, but it houses your eternal soul. And your eternal soul is good. This body is corrupt. Paul is now teaching, saying this body is going to be raised from the dead. And this, of course, um, troubled or was difficult for the Corinthians to understand. They had difficulty with the idea of a physical body being raised. They had no problem with an eternal soul. But Paul is saying, no, your body is going to be raised from the dead. This was very difficult for them. And so Paul is spending a lot of time addressing that question. How? How? And how is this going to work? How can a decomposed body be anything glorious? 
I like how Paul answers them. You fools. <laughs> Actually, you foolish person. I think he has a, a, uh, an imaginary uh, questioner. You foolish person. You fools. I don't know if it would be wise for me to ever address questions in such a way, but Paul does. He's an apostle. I'm not. You fool. Paul now establishes himself as a teacher and he is addressing unlearned students. And when he calls them fools or foolish, there is a touch of irony if you remember all the way back to chapter 1 in 1 Corinthians because the Corinthians claim to be wise. They claim that it is our wisdom that sets us apart. And Paul chastises them. And he chastises them by saying, God has made foolish those who claim to be wise. Those who claim to have some sort of earthly wisdom, God, by through Christ, has made, made the wise men fools. You foolish person. Perhaps some of you think this reminds you, this may remind you of the passage of text that says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. So who is the foolish person? The foolish person is the one who denies God and the God revealed in scripture is unlike the pagan pantheon that the Corinthians were familiar with. See, the fool... The fool does not simply lack the intellectual ability, but he fails to take God into account. And so here, the fool fails to take into account God's creative power. And Paul will say, listen, you're a fool because you are misunderstanding the power and the greatness and the authority of God. You are making him to be no God and you are fools. And then he goes on and he will say, all around you are natural examples. In other words, God has not left you without a witness. Paul is going to go on and say that death is a necessary process to resurrection. So the Corinthians were thinking, death is an obstacle. How do the dead rise? Paul is saying, no, death is not an obstacle. Death is the necessary prerequisite. And then he's going to fulfill, build out this idea of God has not left himself without an example. And he's going to give us an agricultural example. And this would have been an example that the Corinthians were very familiar with. He says this, you foolish person. What you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen. And to each kind of seed its own body. And so, you foolish person, you are forgetting the power and the authority of the God who created the entire universe out of nothing. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And so Paul is now going to give them this, this uh, agricultural example. What's he going to do? Basically, when you plant a seed, what do you get? 
You don't get a bigger seed. What comes up is not another seed. What comes up is a different type of, uh, a different organism, though it is related, but it's a plant. You plant a seed, but what comes out of that is something different. A piece of, a grain of corn, a flower, some other type of crop. But you don't get a bigger seed. The body that emerges from the seed that dies is different from what is planted. Yet the fruit is tied to the seed planted. So, you fool, don't you realize that which you sow, it dies. But it comes back to life as something different, something better. In fact, John chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus said this, Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So Paul gets his, his teaching from Christ. Paul gets his theology from Jesus. New life does not arise until the seed dies. Then he asks, why are you so surprised by the thought of a human body being raised in a similar manner? The seed is not made alive unless it dies. The seed planted is not the body that comes out of the ground. God affects the transition between the seed and the plant. The farmer plants and, and he sows a crop and it grows. And in Mark we read that the farmer doesn't know how, but he trusts that God is active and will bring it to pass. So, the question, how? How is this going to happen? You fool. We have a God who is all-powerful and he will bring life from death. And you see it all around you. You live it every single day. You plant seeds into the ground. They die. But what comes up? Something much more glorious than the seed. You didn't plant the seed. You didn't plant the seed to get more seeds. You plant the seed to get a crop. The seed dies, but what comes up is something much more glorious, much, much better. So the idea that death is an obstacle, Paul refutes that. He says, no, death isn't an obstacle. It is a necessary prerequisite. It gets sown into the ground, but God is going to raise it up. Something much more spectacular than you'd ever dreamed of. So the question, the answer to the question, how? The answer is by the supernatural power of the sovereign God just as he has chosen. And he assures the Corinthians death is not the end. Death is not the final stroke. God still will bring about life from death. Yes, even from a guy like John Wycliffe. Well then, the next question. Well then, what kind of body? What kind of body is... If, if, if we die and get so thrown into the ground or whatever, if we die and, and it is through death that God is going to raise us up, then what kind of body are we going to have? That's a good question. And we probably ask that question. In other words, how can an earthly body be made for heavenly habitation? That's a great question. How can an earthly body, this earthly body, be fit to dwell with God forever. What kind of body are we going to have? Well, Paul is going to remain in the realm of nature. And he's going to go now to biology. And he's going to say, 
here's what you need to understand. Not all flesh is the same. But there is one kind for humans, another kind for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. So, so Paul now remains... Uh, he, he leaves the agricultural example and he goes into the, to the realm of biology and he says, don't you realize God has given all kinds of creatures bodies that are perfectly fit for the environment in which they are created for. Birds do really well in trees in the sky and their bodies are fit perfectly to dwell in trees and to fly in the heavens above. God made them gave them a body that is perfectly fit for the environment in which they live. Fish. Fish don't do well in trees and they don't do well in the sky. But they are perfectly suited for lakes and oceans and God has given them a body that is perfectly fit for the environment in which they live. And so they have gills and they have fins and they have sleek bodies and they are made for the environment in which they live. Each body is uniquely suited for its environment in which it dwells. Paul's point then is that post-resurrection bodies will be different from this body, but they will be perfectly suited for eternal life. Don't you realize that? For all flesh is not the same. There is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. And then, so there's all kinds of different flesh. There are all different kinds of bodies. And God has made them to be perfectly suited for the environment in which they live. And God is able to give you a body that is perfectly suited for eternal life. Post-resurrection bodies are different. So let me take a, a brief sidetrack here and make sure that I'm clear on a couple of different things. The first thing I'll be clear on, um, and this is a little bit of off, but um, when we die, you don't become angels, okay? Are, are we all feel good with that? You will not become an angel, all right? But there's another error or misunderstanding or perhaps an ignorance and I, I don't use that term in, in a derogatory way I just say it mean that, that we're unaware of certain things that our eternal state is is as physical people in other words, you might say, well, wait a second. Now, when I die, my body goes into the ground or gets burned or whatever. And my immaterial part of me, my soul or whatever, goes to heaven and it is with Jesus forever. This is what we call the intermediate state. All right, are you with me? The intermediate state. It is not the eternal state. The eternal state is that at Christ's return... Um, when he sets up his eternal kingdom, you and I will be given resurrected bodies like the type of body Jesus has. We're going to get into that as we go along. And we will live on a recreated earth and heaven. 
All right? So our eternal existence is not as disembodied spirits. That's what we call the intermediate state. The eternal state is that at the return of Christ, we will be raised up and we will be given bodies similar to or like the type of body that Christ has. Christ is not some spirit being. He has a body. That body ascended into heaven and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. That body was one that ate fish and he told his disciples, touch me, flesh and bone. I have flesh and bone. He had a resurrection body. So, uh, this, for some, this is pretty common knowledge. For some of you, you may be thinking, I never thought about that. If you were to die this afternoon, and I pray you don't, your body will be, be non-functioning. And however you have decided to um, take care of that now deceased body is up to you. And that immaterial part of you, that soul, has gone on to be with Christ, to live as Christ, to die as gain. To um, The moment we die, we are in the presence of Christ, our spirit, and we are, this immaterial part of us are with God. Just so you know, that's not the eternal state. That's not the finality. When Christ returns, there will be a resurrection. And in that resurrection, you and I and every believer will be given a resurrected body. Peter talks about a recreated heaven and earth, and we will dwell on that recreated heaven and earth. Post-resurrection bodies are different. They will be suited for eternal life. I hope that's not too confusing, but I want to make sure that we understand that we that in the resurrection we are given new bodies. This is what Paul's arguing. And he's saying it will be a body perfectly suited for the environment in which it's going to live. And he'll de- we'll get into detail as we go along. Hope- hopefully that helps. So with what kind of body? Well, first of all, Paul says, well, there's all sorts of different types of flesh, birds and fish and all kinds of things, and they- God has made them perfectly suited for the environment they live in. So God will make... Um, you, a body, perfectly suited for the environment in which you are going to live. And then he begins to provide an astronomical or a, an example from astronomy. And Paul is going to strengthen his case. And he says, listen, there are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from, glo- from star in glory. The point here is, is that there are various differences in, in uh, heavenly bodies, sun, moon, stars. There are differences in their splendor and their beauty. Some are brighter, some are dimmer, some, like the sun are amazingly bright. And Paul is basically saying, listen, you can look out, so tonight when you go to bed, before you go to sleep, look into the night sky and you're going to see, you're going to see the heavens. You're going to see the moon. You're going to see all these, these stars. And you're going to see that they all have a different brightness, a different glory. Some are bigger, some are smaller, some are brighter. 
Paul is saying, so our future bodies will differ from our present bodies, just as one star differs from another. So we have one body now, and it has a particular glory to it. But there is the body that is to come will have a radiance to it that far surpasses the current one. This tells us two things. The glory, the splendor of our earthly body will be different from the glory or the splendor of our resurrection body. Let me take a step back, friends. First of all, you have been created by God. And I hope you can affirm that. Your body, the current one you now have is sitting in the pews, has been knit together by God Almighty. In fact, in Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14, maybe one of the more relevant texts for our society and culture today, The psalmist writes to God, For you, God, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. Even at the earliest stages of our development, God had formed us. You have been created by God. Your body has been knit by God. He gave you your natural body and he will give you a resurrected body. I like how the psalmist says, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Those of you who may look and have some sort of, I don't know, body sensitivities because you don't look like somebody else. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. For those of you who may think, well, people should honor me because look how great my body is according to the cultural standards of this society. Folks, even that has been made by God. You have been fearfully made. God has made us and he is pleased with what he has made. But Paul's argument here is that the resurrection body is different from the present body, just as the light of the sun is different from the light of the stars. Paul's point, then, is that the resurrection body is not a reanimated corpse, but something of a completely different order that is appropriate to celestial existence. Since the Corinthians recognize that heavenly bodies differ from earthly bodies, they should not expect the resurrected body to be a recycled earthly body. It is something completely different. It is new. So therefore, God, who provides appropriate bodies for cows and fish and appropriate glory for sun and moon, certainly can be trusted to provide an appropriate celestial body for those who are raised. So we ask, well, what, what kind of body am I going to have? It will be appropriate. 
as God has seen fit. And it will be perfectly fit for the age to come. I don't know what it's going to look like. I can't tell you how old it will be. I just know that it will be glorious. It will outshine this body. Some of you are praise God. But it will be perfectly fit for that which God has intended. Paul then in verse 42 goes on. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable, what is raised imperishable. So Paul now wants to highlight that the body that is going to be raised is radically different from the one that is sown. So the body that is going to be raised up from the dead is radically different from the one that is sown. He's kind of keeping that agriculture. You sow a seed into the ground and it comes up something different. You sow a body into the ground, it's going to come up something different. And Paul's now going to highlight four contrasts between the body that dies, this body, and the one that is raised. And his first um, contrast is it is sown corruptible, it is raised incorruptible. It is sown into the grave and it is raised eternal. It is subject now to illness and to death, um, but it will be raised with no, no ability for decay. I want you to note that the eternal state of a person, again, we are not raised as disembodied spirits. The Greeks would have believed that. Our Christian hope is not a disembodied experience, but a resurrection of our body. Yes, even John Wycliffe. This was difficult for Greeks to, ancient Greeks to understand, but we are not destined to be spiritual bodies floating in the clouds. If we are in Christ, we will be given resurrected bodies that are incorruptible. We are sown corruptible. That which goes into the ground is one that is subject to decay. That which comes up at the resurrection is not subject to decay. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. Paul goes on in Matthew 13, 43. Matthew writes this. Let's see here. Talks about uh, the the eternal state. He says, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And he goes on and on. He says, When Christ returns, we'll be given new bodies. We don't know what they're going to be exactly like, but they will be like Christ. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. Death and funerals are a constant reminder of the curse of death. Folks, it is sown in dishonor and it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Folks, a corpse is the epitome of weakness. It shows that your body was susceptible to disease, to injury, to wearing out a corpse is the epitome of, the, of weakness. But it will be raised in power. In other words, death, which has rule over all of us right now, will not rule over the new body. It is raised, it was so natural, it will be raised supernatural. 
that is natural. It is suited for the natural pilgrimage of this earth. It is raised spiritual, that is, it is raised suited for the world to come. It will be a very real body dominated by the things of the spirit, no longer ruled by the sinful desires of the flesh. And Jesus is the prototype. You want to know what the the body is going to look like? Look at the resurrected body of Christ. So, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable, what is raised imperishable. What is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. What is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. What is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, <coughs> the last Adam, became a life-giving spirit. So, if there is a natural body, there will also be a spiritual body. Paul just makes that as a statement of fact. And then he draws this parallel again between Jesus and Adam. And he did this in our message last week. And I put this little chart up there. I hope it will help. But there is this difference between Jesus and and Adam. Adam was the first man and he gave us this kind of body. Jesus, as the last Adam, will give us a different kind of body. We have two representative heads. Adam, a body of dust into which God breathed and gave, um, and gave life. Remember how Adam was made. Dust. And what did God do? Breathed life into him and he became a life. Uh, and he became a living being. And all of us are descendants of the first Adam. By nature we are, quote, in Adam and we inherit his nature. And therefore, Paul writes, we are by nature children of wrath. We will be held accountable for our sin. There is also the last Adam, Jesus. And he also produced a race of people. A spiritual race. Paul assures us that the spiritual does not come first. Christ is the first of those who are raised from the dead. And he has the power to give life. Just as God breathed into the dirt. And the dirt became... Adam, a living being, so Christ will give life to you and I. In the resurrection, Paul contrasts the earthly and the spiritual. First, he says, first, there's the natural, then the spiritual. In our natural birth, we bear the likeness of Adam. When we are born again in Christ, we become children of God. Think this little chart is helpful. It's not mine. Um, I just copied it. In Adam, we, Adam became, we became living souls, became a living soul at his creation. Jesus became a life-giving spirit at his resurrection. Adam was the first man. Jesus is the second or last man. Adam is from the earth. Jesus is from heaven. Adam produces earthly descendants. Jesus produces descendants from above. And Adam, just as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also, in Christ, bear the image of the heavenly. That should give great hope to you and I. You are today, have today, you have borne the image of the earthly. If you are born again in Christ, you will also bear the image of the heavenly. You will bear the image of Christ. Just a quick summary. This. Since we are in Adam, we bear his likeness. I hope that makes sense. Since we are in Adam, we bear his likeness. Our existence is appropriate to life on the earth. And it's corruptible. 
But one day, we will bear the, the likeness of the last Adam, and our existence will be appropriate for life everlasting. Look what Paul writes in Philippians 3, 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. I can just stop right there. Who will do what? He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This, Paul is talking about the eternal state. Jesus, at some point, at his return, will transform this lowly body, the now dissolved ashes of John Wycliffe, to be like his glorious body. Folks, I hope that gives you some, some hope, some encouragement. We shall be like Christ in the resurrection. We will be raised from the dead with the same kind of body that Jesus has now. I'll conclude with this. So what about John Wycliffe? I'll mimic Paul. Let's not be foolish. Let's not be fools. The God revealed in Scripture is able to bring, re- bring life even from discarded ashes. He fashioned the first man from dust and breathed life into him, and the power, his power has not waned. Years ago, I was, <clears throat> I was in Japan, and I had the, I'd say the privilege to visit Hiroshima. It's probably one of the most difficult things I've ever done. Here I am probably 35 years later still talking about it. And the thing that stood out to me in Hiroshima at the museum, by the way, which is where the first nuclear bomb was dropped, there were steps, bank steps that were cut out. The steps of the bank were cut out. Nothing stupendous about that. But on the bank steps was the shadow of a man. That's all that was left of him. When that bomb went off, he completely dissolved, atomized. All that is left is his shadow. That just hit me hard. He's just sitting there minding his own business one moment and the next moment completely dissolved, atomized. The man was a follower of Jesus Christ. God will raise him from the dead. God will put every one of those atoms back together again and he will no longer be a shadow on bank steps from mid-20th century Hiroshima, Japan. He will be a living, breathing body living in a world that Christ has created. John Wycliffe is not just ashes thrown into the river. He will be raised as a living, breathing, resurrected person living for the glory of Christ. 
first point. Let's not be fools. God is able to do exactly what God said. He created this entire universe out of nothing. He made Adam out of dirt and breathed life into him. Do you think for a moment that he is going to have any difficulty with raising you from the dead? His power has not waned. Second, God has provided evidence in our natural world. He's not left himself without witness or without testimony. He has created creatures perfectly suited for their environment, and he will do the same for his people. God has made us in his likeness, which is glorious. The resurrection body will have a different kind of glory, one that is perfectly suited for the world to come. And then Paul talks about that everything in its proper order, Christ first at his resurrection, then we, his people. We were born in Adam. We are reborn in Christ. And God has an amazing future for all of his people who are called by him. If you are wondering about what's going to happen when you die and you are uncertain about that event or that future. We as a church would love to talk with you about what will happen when you breathe your last breath, for you will. At some point, you will breathe your last breath. And if you don't know what's going to happen then, Simone and I, Charlie, Nelson, we would love to talk with you. Alex, we would love to talk with you about what happens at that moment and what's going to happen beyond that moment. So if you will, join with me in prayer.